Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us in his mobile office in Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's going on, boys? Uh, my mobile office is sponsored by Cadillac now. Um, I'm driving my mother-in-law's Cadillac as we speak. Uh, my car is in the shop right now. It's got to get a new Cadillac converter, so... All you listeners out there, if you're in the Nashville area and you can give me a good deal on putting a catalytic converter in my car, I'm all ears. Yeah, if, uh, it also, if an auto body shop wants to, I don't know, say sponsor the show, we are also open to that, obviously. But uh, we'd be remiss. Well, actually, well, actually Coach did, uh, went to Belk to buy the catalytic converter. We are sponsored by the Belk Bowl. It is by far the best bowl named after a department store. Ah, too bad there's no Sears Bowl. But the voice you just heard is the third amigo in the second city, a man who is has a very often on relationship with Amazon Prime. It's our uh, intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. They've just been like screwing up their delivery estimates. I don't mind waiting, but like, why tell me I'm going to get something yesterday when it arrives today? Well, uh, you know, it's holiday season. Things are pretty hectic out there in the parcel world. But uh, we are here to uh, just take uh, early bowls uh, and uh, hand out some uh, superlatives for uh, different position awards for the year. But first, we want to jump into the game from this past weekend. That is the Army-Navy game. Army broke their 14-year-long losing streak to beat the midshipmen. And, Josh, I know you're watching this attack uh, – sorry, this clash, I should say, of uh, the triple option. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from the game? Well, I guess my biggest takeaway is that Navy without Will Worth, obviously a little bit of an issue. Their offense was completely different. That was my biggest takeaway. A second thing that I really noticed was, um, you know, late in the game – about with four and a half minutes, give or take a couple seconds. Uh, Navy had a, a fourth and it was like three. What wasn't too bad, but uh, they decided to punt it. He only had one timeout left. They didn't get the ball back. And it, I thought it was a curious decision because it, if anyone is used to having the clock run out on you, it would be Niamatololo, whose Navy team got the ball back with seven and a half minutes left from Notre Dame and then give the ball back. I thought that was an interesting decision. Niamatololo is usually pretty aggressive. And, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But at the time, I was even a little surprised that they didn't go for it. Just the way that game was going, the way yards were at a premium, I thought they might have a better chance at, at picking it up and, and going down and scoring rather than getting a defensive stop and then trying to have a, you know, a, last-minute drive with a backup quarterback. 
Yeah, that was uh, definitely not how Navy envisioned the game plan, I think, going in. Coach, you got anything to add here on, uh, you know, on what was a, a pretty big upset, quite frankly? I, I predicted this. Um, I thought Army was due. They did everything well. And when, when the game started, it seemed like the brakes were starting to go Army's way. Um, and they just really outplayed Navy. It seemed like they were prepared for everything Navy was going to do. Um, just seemed like they were always in position and they made the plays. They made the plays more so than, than uh, the Navy did. And it just seemed like Navy was off. You know, Navy didn't, Navy, Navy seemed like they were still hung over from the Temple game and it showed and they just, they had, they played with a lack of confidence for the first time that I've ever seen them play like that. You know, they're usually a confident group no matter what happened the week before, but for whatever reason, uh, they weren't that. They were just, I just felt like they were off and, I didn't feel like they were ever kind of in that game at all. And then Army just was just making plays left and right. And, um, and I, I thought Army had a great game plan against them. All right. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was a pretty fun game, though, to watch, I must say. I, I usually don't turn into much of the Army-Navy game because it's usually such a blowout on Navy's side. But this year, uh, it was it was really, really great to watch. I really like those Army uniforms this year, too. I thought those were pretty clever with the... Uh, the uh, you know the name badge like they are on the fatigues so um, that was you know definitely uh, one of the more memorable Army Navy games at least in the past you know twenty five years or so. Also this past weekend though uh, we had the FCS quarterfinals and which led into the final four matchups for this upcoming weekend. In the first of the uh, quarterfinals, um, North Dakota State spotted South Dakota State 10 points, then reeled off 36 in a row in what ended up being a pretty dominant performance by the Bison once they started to get rolling there at the end of the first quarter, early second quarter. They ran for over 300 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. Easton Stick um, had a little bit of an up-and-down game, uh, including um, a a costly interception early in the game. But uh, overall, the Bison looked very strong, and they are going to be facing in the semifinal uh, the James Madison uh, Dukes. Um, James Madison uh, came in uh, to the, their game this past weekend uh, versus Sam Houston State, uh, thinking that they would be able to finally beat uh, the previously undefeated um, Bearcats, uh, and they did that in style. Um, they were up 42 nothing at halftime, 65 nothing by the end of the third, and they scored every which way you possibly could. They had special teams touchdowns. They had safeties. They had, uh, uh, they had, uh, um, defensive touchdowns. They ran for six touchdowns. They were, they absolutely shellacked, uh, the Sam Houston State team. And we, we all predicted that coming into the game. We said that, you know, James Madison had, faced one of the toughest schedules in the country of any FCS team, and they were much more battle-tested than uh, the much uh, smaller conference Sam Houston State Bearcats. Um, on the other side of the bracket, Youngstown State won uh, by far the closest game of the weekend, a double overtime thriller, 30-23 to over Wofford in the freezing cold there in uh, over in Eastern Ohio, uh, Youngstown State uh, racked up over 240 yards on the ground with r- uh, running back Jody Webb accounting for 213 of those. But it was Tevin McCasters, the backup um, 
the backup halfbacks scamper into the end zone uh, in double overtime, which gave them the winning score. They were able to hold Wofford out uh, on defense in the second OT and, uh, you know, all in all, should be very, very happy getting back to the FCS uh, Final Four. And if you'll remember, they knocked off a uh, reigning national runner-up, Jacksonville State, down in Jacksonville, Alabama. And they uh, will face uh, the Eastern Washington Eagles. Uh, the Eastern Washington had, um, you know, a, a very, very tired Richmond team come to Cheney. Um, and, you know, it really showed – Eastern Washington's defense has really showed up the last couple of weeks, this time shutting the Spiders out 38 nothing. Um, Gage Gabrud had a tame game for him, only 297 yards and three touchdowns. But still, um, you know, receiver Cooper Cup had another big game, 128 yards on six catches and a score. And, uh, you know, they are – I think that what we're going to end up having here is a – Hopefully, I think for a lot of fans, it's going to be a showdown between uh, the two most dominant programs recently, which is North Dakota State and Eastern Washington. James Madison, I think, has, you know, they've got a shot. They are super talented, as we saw, but North Dakota State is such a beast of a team. And I think it's going to be, you know, really, really hard for James Madison uh, to keep up with the physicality of North Dakota State. On the other half of the bracket, though, Eastern Washington has, you know, weapons and receivers on the outside. They, spread it out, throw it all around, and I don't believe that Youngstown State quite has the speed on the outside to keep up with them uh, when uh, the Eagles have the ball. So, um, but Josh, I don't know, did you have any thoughts about the Final Four here? Well, I did. Um, you know, I think you broke, broke it down really well. Um, you know, we know Eastern Washington's recent history. They're such a dominant program, and, and you know, Youngstown State getting Bo Collini, I know about them, obviously North Dakota State. How can you be a football fan and not know much about them? But uh, James Madison was an interesting team, so I, I did a little bit of research on them because I, I really don't know a whole lot about their program. And uh, they had a really, really good coach, Mickey Matthews. Uh, he was there from 1999 until uh, 2013, uh, won a national title back in 04, but um, just, you know, only made one tournament from 09 until when he eventually got fired. Just couldn't quite hold it together. Uh, their 2011 team, which is the one that made the tournament, was knocked off by North Dakota State. That's their only recent tournament uh, clash. So this will be an interesting game. It was up at the Fargo Dome. Fargo Dome. And what was weird was after, uh, after Mickey Mathers left, they hired Everett Williams, or excuse me, Everett Withers, who <clears throat> uh, – was a coach at North Carolina for one year. He was the interim coach for uh, when Butch Butch Davis got fired. Uh, Coached really well at James Madison, won 18 games in two seasons, uh, won a conference title, took them to the tournament both years. But he left abruptly to take the Texas State job this season, which is a lateral move at best. Um, you could probably make an argument that it's even a downgrade, and he's not from Texas. So I'm a little, little confused at why he did that. And in comes Mike Houston. This is his first year. He was great at the Citadel, turned them around, had a wonderful 2015 season uh, with the key debts. And here in his first year at James Madison, 12-1 and overall, 8-0 in the conference. Uh, hats off to him. This was uh, an even more amazing run now that I, I know – some of the history and as cool as it is for North Dakota state to keep winning titles. And that's an impressive streak. Um, 
this this Duke's team has kind of uh, kind of warmed uh, warmed my heart to see that they have gone through some coaching adjustments and, and maintained a high level of play. I, I'm curious to see what they can do up in Fargo. Yeah, I think that they they've got a shot. They've got as good a shot as anyone to beat the Bison. But you know, we know how good that North Dakota State team is. They are so much more physical than pretty much anyone else at the FCS level. And although James Madison is obviously a, a supremely talented team, especially for you know being the equivalent of one double A. Um, I think that, you know, I don't think that they can match up. Uh, and I think they'll get worn down, quite frankly, on the lines um, when it comes to playing the Bison. But, uh, I, could, I could attest to that. I saw them blow a Big Ten offensive line that won an award, mind you, for best offensive line. Yeah, I saw that. That, that was uh, a joke of an award, quite frankly. You know, I mean, Iowa had a nice line, don't get me wrong, but come on. They got completely beat up, like you said, by an FCS team. I think that I mean, should ban them from being rewarded <laughs> for anything. I, I think the reason they got that award is the reputation of Kirk Ferentz for creating offensive lines. And I think, it, I think Brian Ferentz is just a... a likable guy. So I think that that was an award that was based more on reputation than actual performance. I didn't realize that they gave Grammys to artists that they just happened to like, but make crap music. Yeah, they did. Uh, Millie Vanilla got one. Oh, burn. Well, speaking of awards, we are going to take burn right there. Okay. Well, we are going to uh, switch now to our awards um, for, um, you know, our, you know, individual positions of the awards on the year. We already gave our show's coach of the year award to Mike McIntyre at Colorado, but we will start here with the Heisman. And we all agree with the way the voting went down. Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, there's not much more to say that hasn't already been said about him. Uh, One of the great statistical seasons of all time. Amazing highlights, highlights uh, the performance against Florida State was one for the ages on national TV. You got anything to add there, Josh? Well, I just want to reiterate that if you go back and look at his stats during the quote-unquote downfall of Louisville football, he was still pretty good. The reason they didn't win was he was under immense pressure. The offensive line just couldn't keep it up for the entire year. Um, But his individual numbers were still really good. They just weren't as good as his epic numbers from earlier in the season. Like his passing performance hit over 200 yards um, in one of their late losses. Like, over 200 yards for a quarterback is a fine day at the office. Uh, yeah. You know, he was, what, I think the sixth leading, sixth or eighth leading rusher in the nation from the quarterback position. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. He, he scored, yeah. I think, more combined touchdowns than anyone else in the well, season. Well, one thing about the Heisman race, though, that we should, uh, a little bit of a mea culpa from the, uh, the Illegal Motion podcast, is we, like everyone else in the nation, totally ignored Christian McCaffrey. Stanford had those early losses. <clears throat> he got hurt. Screw it. He's done. Like, don't care about him. But he actually had uh, more yards per carry rushing the ball this year than last year. And he led the nation again, so back-to-back years, leading the nation in all-purpose yards. So it's uh, it's funny how a Heisman race could, like, take these twisted turns where it just takes a little bit of a speed bump and you totally discount a guy when if you break the numbers down, Chris McCaffrey, uh, yet another guy 
who could have been invited in lieu of Jabril Peppers, who had no shot at winning it. Yeah, give me a break on Peppers. I'm I'm sorry. It was that was by far the worst addition um, to the players who were selected to go to New York. I don't know. I, I think people. I honestly think people who voted for Jabril Peppers did not watch very much Michigan this year. Because, especially, you know, from October on, Big Ten season, he wasn't much of a factor. He had an interception in the game against Ohio State. That was his first interception on the year in the last game. Like, well, I, think, I think part of the problem is so many voters are in the Eastern time zone that it's – you just look at the winners from the West Coast. There's, there's hardly any – the people that get invited from the West Coast – well, they're always the only people who get invited from the West Coast are if you play for USC, basically. Or recently, Oregon. I mean, Marcus Mariota got it, but yeah, it, it took, yeah. you know it took one of the all-time historic seasons for Mariota to win it, and for McCaffrey last year was bar none the, one of the best seasons in the history of football. If you break a previous Heisman Trophy winner's record, you should win it. I feel like like that's an automatic win. And it wasn't even enough for him. Uh, it, it was disappointing that Browning couldn't go. I, I don't. I would not have voted him number one, but I think his, he warranted representing his university at that event. I had him number two on my make believe ballot. So, I believe I had Deshaun Watson number two. I had him. I had him a hair over Deshaun Watson, but. You know, obviously, those two were, you know, splitting hairs at that point. So, uh, we're, I mean, the quarterback of the year, obviously, still Lamar Jackson, I believe, for all of us. Um, yeah. Which is too bad for Lamar and too bad for Browning because, um, especially for Jake Browning, you can make the argument he's the more prototypical throw-first quarterback. Um, but, you know, they all play the same position. They all have different strengths and weaknesses. If you're going to say Jackson's the best, you also have to make them the best of that position. Well, I know that I know that a coach agrees with us that Lamar Jackson was both uh, deserving of the Heisman and uh, quarterback of the year, right? And I and I do, yes. And uh, I, I think you have to give a look to you know what Jake Browning has done and what Deshaun Watson has done. I mean, you can't leave them out of the mix. But I think ultimately, the the one that made the biggest impact and the one that had the best season on the field has got to be Lamar Jackson. Um, even though you know, I, I think this is probably one of the tightest quarterback of the year racist that that I've seen in the last 10 years you know with, with these two guys you know you have Deshaun Watson who gets it done on the field he's got it done on the field for three years and has led his team into the playoffs for the second straight year and then you have Lamar Jackson who seemingly came out of nowhere uh and took his team to the brink of the playoffs before uh falling apart and uh towards the end of the season but he still had the numbers he still had uh the votes and everything for the Heisman um but, uh, you know, when you just compare their season side by side, I think Lamar Jackson's more of the MVP because without him, Louisville is not really uh, much of a factor in the ACC. All right. Well, let's uh, keep it on going to the uh, running back of the year. And, uh, Josh, I know you're going to differ from me. Personally, I had uh, Dante Foreman, who had 
2,028 rushing yards on a Texas team where defenses just were able to stack the box on him. And even in the Big 12 where they don't play a lot of D, uh, you know, if you can still are constantly having eight guys in the box and you're running for over 2,000 yards, uh, it was, you know, a, a, a truly uh, amazing statistical performance from a mediocre team. And he barely gets the nod from me over Donnell Pumphrey and Dalvin Cook and uh, the guy that you mentioned earlier, Josh, Christian McCaffrey, but I believe that you actually have someone else as your running back of the year. Uh, well, I have to know Pumphrey, and <clears throat> the problem with Foreman is, you know, where do you draw the line of statistical performance meeting team success? Um, I, I realize it's a team sport. I realize he doesn't play any defense, but I just have a hard time saying that he is bar none the best running back when his team can't have a winning record. I, I, I just have a hard time doing that. I have a hard time when, like, the, uh, the Cy Young went to uh, King Felix and he had a losing record. Like, you know, sometimes numbers are unfair for the winner, and sometimes they're unfair for a guy like Foreman, who I left off. Um, my running back of the year was an O'Promptree. I had him barely above uh, Cook from Florida State, who I still have – eighth in the country. I would not want to play that FSU team. Uh, but I also have him above uh, Octavius Mathers, um, the young man from Middle Tennessee State, who had over 1,500 rushing yards, but also almost 600 receiving yards. Uh, he was just so dynamic that it was, it was hard to ignore that. Uh, and his quarterback got hurt during the year, too. So, yeah. Coach, who's your running back of the year? I got to go with Pumphrey. I mean, I, I've been, I've been uh, singing his praises all year long. I've been talking really good about him, talking about how he's the most overlooked, best back in the country. Um, and I, I think, I think Texas might win a couple more ball games if he's on their team versus San Diego State. I, I think it's he's got supreme talent. And I think he's going to be uh, the running back that comes out and, and has the best well, one of the better careers in the pros, and I think he projects more as an NFL guy, next-level guy, than uh, than Freeman does. I think he'll do better in the NFL than Freeman, and that's kind of that's where I'm going to draw the line here because with running back statistics is such a – it can be deceiving because you can rack up a ton of yards um, and you can, you know, have a 200-yard game, but then, then you come uh, the next week and have 50 yards. You know, you're, you're so erratic with that position that it's hard to really gauge it based on yards, but you just watch him and you just know there's, there's just instinct of, man, that guy has, has, has got, has got what, you know, he's a, he's a next level back for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I'm going to give it to Humphrey. Well, um, uh, moving on to the wide receiver of the year, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be unanimous that it's D.D. Westbrook. He averaged basically 20 yards a catch on 74 catches 16 touchdowns. He was the best player on one of the uh, most high-performing offenses uh, in the country. And, you know, he made it to the Heisman finally. Rarely see wide receivers do that. Uh, I believe you're, you're, in con- you're in concurrence, Josh. Indeed. Coach? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no questions there. 
All right. Offensive lineman of the year, I have uh, Wisconsin tackle Ryan Ramchick. This is not a homer pick. He was absolutely dominant in the run game this year, and he didn't give up a sack of the entire season, despite them having a quarterback roulette behind him. He didn't know if it was going to be Houston, the right-hander, or if it was going to be Hornybrook, the left-hander. He was pro football focus's number one offensive tackle in the entire country this year. He, you know, first year playing major college football, and he was absolutely dominant. Uh, Josh, I, I believe you have someone else. Well, I believe that there are three people who are all worthy of this award. You listed one of them. I'm going to list the other, and it wouldn't surprise me if Coach was the third. But I went with Ohio State center, uh, Pat Elfing. He was one of just three returning starters on the Ohio State offense, but he actually switched from guard to center. So you see that versatility. We know that centers are the quarterback of the offensive line, calling out the protections and all that. Uh, so I went with Pat. Coach? All right. I mean, this one was a, uh, this one was, was a tough one to pick. Um, you know, there's so many good offensive linemen out there, and there's so many uh, guys out there that play different positions that are, that are very important. And, you know, you got to look at, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to agree with Matt here, or actually uh, – I'm going to agree with Josh here. Oh, um, and uh, I, I thought I saw the name and, and I immediately thought uh, Wisconsin there. But I will say, you know, you're the, the guy that got the Remington Trophy Award as well, Pat Effin, and uh, Ohio State. And it's just, you know, he, he he's he's the quarterback of the line. He kind of gets everybody lined up where they're supposed to. He gets the protection calls in. Uh, you know, he makes that offense go. And and all the offensive linemen. Uh, respond to him. Um, I, I can I can see him being a leader in that offensive line room, even though I'm not there on a day to day basis. Um, I think I think he's the guy that's that's leading the way in that. Um, also, you got to take a look at uh, you know, potentially Cam Robinson. He was the Outland Trophy Award winner. That was the third name I thought we would hear. Yeah, I, yes. The other name I thought we might hear is uh, Ethan Pochich from uh, LSU. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I was going to say Cam Robinson, and I was going to give Cam Robinson some love, but um, I, I just think when you when you look at centers and you look at kind of what their job is um, on the offensive line, um, they're kind of the most valuable piece. If you don't have a good center, you know you're you know if you don't have a good smart center that can get you in and out of good protections, you know it, it's going to be a rough it's going to be a rough go. Um, and I know Georgia did I know Georgia center didn't. Uh, didn't particularly play too well, so I think that leads to erratic offensive line play. And you know, when they're playing great, your offensive line is is road grading. So I think it's I think it's an extremely important position on the offensive line, mostly overlooked because people are um, so fixated on the left tackle and how good the left tackle is. You know, how good's your left tackle? How good's your left tackle? You know, who's your left tackle? And and yes, no, I'm not I'm not trying to downplay the importance of a good left tackle. I'm just saying that your center is the one that's going to be um, identifying interior blitzes and setting up your protections and setting up your run schemes and, and really just kind of leading the charge as far as um, adjusting um, adjusting your front, adjusting your uh, protection. Yeah, you know, the centers obviously have a lot of responsibility. And as a, a former high school center, uh, I always like to say, the center is the only player who touches the ball on every single snap. So, uh, Unless you're Denzel Pumphrey. 
Unless you're Donald Humphrey. Exactly. Uh, let's move to the defensive lineman of the year. Josh, I know you and I are in agreement with Alabama's Jonathan Allen. He was absolutely dominant for one of the best defenses that, quite frankly, the game has ever seen. Uh, it, you know, it shows up in his stats, but also beyond the stats when you watch the film. He is so strong and so quick. And from the five technique that he plays, he is, uh, you know, a, a truly, truly dominant player. Uh, you got what do you have to add there, Josh? The only thing I have to add is how many defensive linemen have two touchdowns on the year. I think that speaks to his athleticism. And you said, mentioned speed. I would say in the open field, he's pretty damn fast, too. He is. Coach, who's your DL of the year? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, I will make it a clean sweep and say Jonathan Allen. I mean, I, I think he's had shoulders above everybody else. I mean, you just watch a guy play, and I, there's nobody that can block him. He's all over the place. He can run. He's strong. I mean, he's got all the best qualities that you need in a defensive lineman. And I, yeah, I'm, I'd venture to say, and I would put up an argument that he might be the best defensive lineman that's come through Alabama. And, you know, I think he's up there on that list. And I, I think there's, there's going to be a very good argument to be made there. Also depends on how you view Derek Thomas, uh, if you view him as a, as a li- outside linebacker or as a defensive end. but um, I, I see him as a linebacker. That's why I, I say that. I see him more as a linebacker, too. But. Yeah, I see him as a linebacker. Um, he's kind of that hybrid guy. Uh, if you see him as a D lineman, then, yes, the answer is Derek Thomas. No, no questions about that. Um, but uh, didn't Cornelius Bennett play at Alabama, too? Uh, yes, he did. Uh, but I, 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 think, I think Jonathan Allen's better than him. I think and that's saying a lot. I think we have to just give a you know a, a quick honorable mention nod to Miles Garrett. You know, you know, offensive linemen were triple teaming him, and he was still getting to the quarterback with reckless abandon. So, uh, you yes. know, he was one yes. of the few bright spots in what ended up being a you know, really disappointing second half of the season for the Aggies. Uh, moving on, linebacker of the year. I mean, come on, if you listen to the show at all, you know who we're all picking. Vanderbilt Zach Cunningham. He was my defensive player of the year. I believe he was Josh's national defensive player of the year. Indeed, uh, he was. He wins games essentially single-handedly from the inside linebacker position, which, it, quite frankly, is damn near impossible these days. He is the. If I could have one defensive player in college football on my team, he's the guy I would choose. Yes, I I, I agree wholeheartedly. There, I, I think anybody, like you said, anybody that knows anybody that knows us knows that. Zach Cunningham's really high on this. I want to give an honorable mention to T.J. Watt of uh, Wisconsin. I think he was a key piece to the Badger defense. I think he was one of the one of the main reasons that uh, Wisconsin was in playoff contention and they were uh, they were in the Big Ten championship and what we thought was going to be sort of a rebuilding year for the Badgers. So I'm gonna give some love to the uh, to the youngest Watt brother. I think. He is the, um, he, he's the last. He, he, he is the final. He is the final Watt brother. Uh, also from the Big Ten, Josie Jewell deserves a, a nod as well, uh, right, Josh? You know it. Yeah. But I wasn't. I wasn't going to go that home rush. No, you, you can't go over Zach Cunningham. Um, cornerback <laughs> of the year. Um, I have Adore Jackson um, from USC. Uh, for me, this was the year that his cover skills finally matched his pure athleticism, and he's still one of the best returners in the country. Uh, if you watch the game against uh, uh, when they played Washington, uh, whoever they had him lined up against, whether it was Pettis um, or whoever was on the outside, he completely shut them down. He was uh, one of the best cover corners and one of the best returnmen in the country. Uh, but, Josh, uh, you have uh, someone from the ACC. 
I do, and I just have to repeat a stat line because it was from a few shows ago. I just love it. Uh, it's a freshman, redshirt freshman, Jesse Bates from Wake Forest. The only reason Wake is in a bowl game is because they have a good defense. He led the team as a defensive back in solo tackles with 65, was second in the team on total tackles with 93, two and a half for a loss, five interceptions, two touchdowns off those interceptions, four passes defended, and forced a fumble, heart and soul of the defense as a kid. I love that. I love his game. I cannot wait to watch him next year. Coach, corner, corner of the year? Well, first I'll say that uh, Wake Forest is one of the few teams, or actually probably the only team, that had more success um, at abandoning their game plan uh, than any other team in the country. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'll say that. But, no, uh, Matt, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking your side on this one. Uh, I can't think of a cornerback without thinking of Adoree Jackson. Um, he's the only guy in the country that can shut you down and then uh, take one to the house on you the very next play. So um, I think the hashtag gear the third phase, third phase, most important phase, uh, special teams, I think that gives him the bump. He's more versatile. He's a pure athlete. He has great cover skills, shuts you down. Um, and, and for corners, actually having lack of stats is more of a compliment to your play than actually having the stats because that just shows that uh, quarterbacks respect you and fear you and they're not going to test you. So, um, Adoree Jackson, again, um, going to get involved as a return guy. That was one of the things we talked about last year with Mackenzie Alexander was even though he had no interceptions, he was still one of the best in the country because no one was going to throw to his side. He would just well, yeah. down one side. He walks down half the field. Yeah. Well, he walks down a quarter of the field. Well, after that Indiana game when Bates had multiple interceptions, uh, they stopped throwing his side of the field. Yeah, I don't blame him. Uh, let's uh, the other defensive back uh, mate uh, for safety of the year. I took Ohio State's Malik Hooker. He was the best player on Ohio State's defense, which, which was one of the best in the country. He had four pick sixes. He made huge plays for the Buckeyes, game in, game out. Uh, none bigger than his pick six against Michigan uh, to tie up the game. Uh, but, you know, obviously – uh, I think that one name that can be, you know, right there with him is uh, Josh, your uh, safety of the year. Yeah, this was the hardest award for me to do. Um, I did not flip a coin, even though I could have. They were both that incredible. The reason I gave it to Buddha Baker is I just, it, it seemed like he might have had a little bit more versatility. He had nine tackles for loss, two sacks. Um, you know, he, he did things like that that, Malik Hooker didn't this year, but I think part of that probably was just Hooker was in his first year as a starter. So good coverage. You don't really want to take that out of your game plan by having him blitz, but um, I mean, you can't go wrong with either one of these players. Coach, uh, Matt, I'm going, I, I'm going with you again. I'm going Malik Ooh. Hooker. Uh, I'm going four pick sixes, the impact that he had for the Buckeye defense in his first year starting uh, is tremendous, you know, and it just shows that, you know, he's well coached, you know, next guy up theory is in full effect at Ohio state. Um, and, and he was the key piece in that defensive backfield. Um, he was, you know, he, he was the leader back there and, and he was the playmaker back there. And, and, you know, you just look at him and, and quarterbacks, their first deal is, Where's Hooker? Where's Hooker? Where, where is he? Where's Hooker? 
they had the ID hooker on, on every snap. Um, and to do what he did in the best conference in the country uh, this year in the Big Ten, I think speaks volumes as well. Uh, that's why I give him the nod over Buda Baker. Um, but my emotional pick, my emotional honorable mention is Weston Steelhammer, who was our uh, who was our uh, Mountain West Conference Player Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Got to give him some love, even though he's not our my National Player of the Year. Um, I'll give him some credit there, uh, Commander in Chief, for the yeah. second year, um, and bolstered the Air Force defense there. But I'm giving the nod to Malik Hooker. Uh, with Buda Baker coming as a close, close, close runner-up. Amazing thing to remember about Hooker is that he is, A, only a sophomore, and, B, didn't ever play to organized football before his junior year in high school. So this is a guy who still has a lot of growing yet, uh, yet to do. Well, that's going to do it for our uh, superlatives on the year. Congratulations to all of the winners, honorable mentions, and anyone else, except for if you are a former Wake Forest quarterback, you do not get an honorable mention for anything. Um, but now we need to uh, turn. Well, I, I want to pose one quick question to you guys. Utah had Tom Hackett win the Ray Guy in 14 and 15, and then had their punter this year, Mitch, with a crazy long last name. I don't want to butcher, uh, win it this year. So Utah's won punter of the year three straight years. Is that an accolade for the special teams coordinator, the coaches coaching him, or is that a demerit to the offensive coordinator that's making him punt all that time? Well, if you look at the percentage of their punts that are landing inside the 20 and being pinned, I don't think that's a demerit to the offense. I think that is great special teams coaching. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I I think it's good recruiting, to be honest with you. I mean, with punters, kickers and punters, you kind of just let them work on their own, and they just kind of – because if you get in their head, that's when you get in trouble. So, I mean, yeah, great schemes, good decisions, and the special teams deal of when to punt, when to put them in good situations and protection schemes and all that. But as far as executing the act of a punt and being able to have the skills to uh, to place it inside the 20 and inside the 10 and even inside the uh, 5, that goes on just great recruiting um, and finding the good talent there. Um, as far as the offense, the merit to the offensive coordinator, um, just depends on the situation. Yeah, if you're punting, if you're punting from uh, the minus twenty every time, yeah, you know it's time to fire the offensive coordinator. But you know, I, I've always heard, and I go to a lot of coaches' clinics, and you know, I've heard this multiple times. Always, always, always end your end your drive with a kick. I always end it with a kick. You're always you're either field goal, PAT, or punt. Punt is not a bad thing. Punt is not a bad word, especially if you trust your defense. So um, it's not always it's not always a bad deal to punt, just if you're punting repeatedly from the minus twenty. So mm-hmm. um, I take it I take it based on that advice that Mark Helfrich never went to any of those conferences. He probably did. No, I, I never saw him. I never sat next to him. Um, I, if I did, I was going to get him to get me some. Uh, some of that cool highlighter yellow gear. <laughs> Good Lord. All right. Well, we got to move, turn our attention here at the end of our show to the first uh, set of bowl games. We are going to take quick previews of the first six bowl matchups of the season. Got some good ones, got some not so good ones, but we will start uh, in uh, New Mexico for the Gilded New Mexico Bowl, where New Mexico uh, will be taking on uh, UTSA, the Roadrunners, in their first bowl game in the history of their program. Josh, what you got? Oh, boy. I think New Mexico's 
offense, the best running attack in the country, which might surprise some people because when we think of option attacks, we go Army, Navy, Air Force, but Bob Davies' team did it. Uh, hats off to the road, road runners. Frank Wilson, first year there, coming in for Larry Coker. They were 1-3 and three to start, turn it around. Hats off to them. And they actually had a tough schedule. I know sometimes 6-6 six and six teams get in by playing a bunch of scrubs, but uh, they played seven teams that are in bowl games, plus Arizona State when Sparky was fully healthy and looked like a contender in the Pac-12. Uh, Coach, who, you, who, you, who do you like here? I like New Mexico. I, I think they're, they're, you know, it speaks volumes for them being the, one of the best rushing attacks in the country. Uh, once, if you get the option game working and rolling, it's hard to stop. Um, and uh, the Roadrunners, I, I think they're gonna, their heads are going to be swimming. This is their first ever bowl game. I don't know that they particularly know how to handle themselves. I think they'll put up a good fight. I just don't think they're ready to uh, to win this game. And, and uh, they're going to get a good learning experience here. And they're going to be fine. Um, but I, I do think New Mexico is going to take this one. Yeah, one thing, the only thing that really gives me pause here about taking New Mexico, who are seven-and-a-half-point favorites at home, essentially. Uh, you know, it is a home game for them. But their defense was uh, 119th in defensive efficiency this year. Not great. You know, the Roadrunners obviously aren't the most potent of attack, attacks, but they are balanced. They have decent stats on offense, decent stats on defense. And I actually might uh, snatch the seven-and-a-half points with UTSA if I were a gambling man. Um, speaking of gambling, we're going to go we're, we're going to go to the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, which is one of, the, quite frankly, the marquee matchups of bowl season, especially if you like group of five football, which we all know that we do here. Uh, two teams that we all had ranked in the preseason, both of which had uh, some ups and downs this season, Houston and San Diego State. Uh, in Josh, uh, uh, is Hermanless Houston going to be able to uh, deter uh, Donnell Pumphrey? Well, I think that they had – their game worrying about their coaching change already against Memphis. They, they know who they have. It's Major Applewhite. He recruited a lot of the players. He knows the offense, obviously. Um, and I think we saw it with their games against Oklahoma and Louisville, where Houston's ceiling is so much higher than San Diego State's. Now, I don't know if this bowl game will be enough to bring that out, but – I would lean towards Houston probably winning it. You know, I, I think it's a whole home bowl. It's it's a bowl that you know you're in the you're in the Peach Bowl last year. You beat Florida State. You're on an all time high, and then now you're in the Las Vegas Bowl playing well before Christmas, and it's kind of a letdown in a way. But I think had Tom Herman not left, yeah, I probably would I probably would be picking San Diego State. Uh, because I'm thinking Houston's going to be in uh, in major letdown mode, being in a being in a uh, you know lower tier bowl. But I, I think with Major Applewhite, I think a little, little bit of continuity for this group that was already successful with with what they got um, is is a good thing. And I think also that you get into one of these statement games. I believe they're going to try to put on a show for for Tom Herman and say, you know what, Coach Herman, we don't need you. You know, go to Texas. Enjoy Texas. Enjoy getting your butt kicked in Texas, getting fired in three years. We don't need you. We got Coach Applewhite. We're just fine. You know, Houston, they have a hashtag, Houston Takeover. Hashtag Houston Takeover. Um, and I think that's going to happen in, in Las Vegas, I think. Um, I think it's going to be 
a tight game most of the way, and I think Houston's going to start to pull away um, towards the end. I think they win by a couple of touchdowns, if not three. I uh-huh. think they're going to end up – I think it's going to be a statement game for the Cougs. Yeah, I really like Houston here because of uh, one big thing that's sort of going under the radar. Todd Orlando is staying as a defensive coordinator at Houston, and that is an absolute coup for um, for Major Applewhite. Todd Orlando is uh, one of the really great up-and-coming young defensive coordinators in the country, and their run defense this year was number two in the country. They only allowed 97.9 yards per game and less than three yards per carry. I think uh, Ed Oliver and the rest of that defensive line are going to be able to hold up against San Diego State, and they should uh, win, like you guys said, uh, a little bit going away towards the end. Um, elsewhere, uh, we've got the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl. Uh, it's Appalachian State versus Toledo. Vegas has a game as a pick and I have literally no idea who to take in this game. It is such a toss-up. I took App State in my, uh, my pick pool, but it was the least confident of all of my 41 picks. Uh, basically, my thinking, defense trumps offense in these kind of games. I think App State has a better defense, but Josh, you have, I think, a little more insight into this game than I do. Oh, yeah, totally different philosophies about football. App State, eighth best scoring defense overall nationally with just 17 points allowed per game. Toledo, flip that around. They average 38.8 points per game. That's 18th nationally. Uh, We know Cody Thompson. They also have a really, really good running back, uh, veteran quarterback as well. This Rockets team is a well-oiled machine, but they say defense wins championships. So I'm with you. I think I would take App State, but not have a lot of confidence in it. Coach? Yeah, I really I really have no idea uh, on this one, truthfully. Um, so if you're, if you're gambling and you're looking to make some money on this game, um, turn the volume down on this because if you listen to me and I steer you in the wrong direction, I do not feel bad for you because – well, you shouldn't have listened to me on this because I really don't know. I'm going to err on the side of defense in these bowl games uh, because typically teams in bowl games that have really long names don't care to be there. Um, and I think one of the competitions for the lower-tier bowls is to see who can get the longest sponsorship title. Um, and the, and uh, the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl is nipping at the heels of the San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl. I don't think anyone's um, ever going to beat the uh, San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl. I, I, I don't think so, but teams are trying. Their bowl committees are trying. Uh, there's effort out there for that. We have the R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl, which we'll be talking about shortly. That's a nice – Yeah, that's, 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 out, that's out there too, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I think defense, uh, defense and running game, which I think App State is superior um, in that. Uh, so I'm going to go with the the Mountaineers here. I I uh, I watched them play Tennessee. I watched what they did to Tennessee, and they they got better. Um, unfortunately, I did watch them against Miami too, and saw the flip side of what Appy State could be. But um, I think I was just more of Miami being on fire that day uh, versus Appy State, who was coming off of a, a heartbreaker against Tennessee. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Mountaineers um, again. I say the Mountaineers. Toledo's probably going to win now. So. Um, but uh, that doesn't change my pick. All right. Well, I think I think the actual bowl game with the most words in its title is uh, tied between the San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl and the Rose Bowl game presented by Northwestern Mutual. 
but we will be getting to the New Year's Six games uh, in a couple podcasts. As for right now, we're going to go on to the Auto Nation Cure Bowl. Not quite as many words, um, but uh, still quite an interesting game. We've got uh, uh, UCF, the Knights, uh, under in their first season under Scott Frost, are taking on Arkansas State. Uh, who you know had uh, you know some pretty nice moments in this season, uh, Josh? Who do you like here in this American versus Sun Belt matchup? Yeah, two teams that really um, turn things around. UCF from season to season, they were winless a year ago in a bowl game this year. Then Arkansas State started zero and four, finished seven and five, and that's because they know the Sun Belt. So <clears throat> uh, it, back in twenty ten, this was their last time that they didn't have a winning record in conference. They went 4-4. Four and four. Since then, 8-0, champs. 7-1, and one, champs. 5-2, and two, co-champs. 5-3, and three, and 8-0, uh, champs last year. So that's why they do so well in the Sun Belt. They're a machine in that conference. Uh, I think that this is sets up nicely, though, for Central Florida. The game is 25 minutes away from their campus. This is a team to like. They showed some signs of life uh, not too far removed from when they won a BCS bowl game. Uh, so I think the Knights get it done, and the reason why is they had that defensive player that a few shows ago. I had as the American Conference Bowl Defensive Player of the Year. That's uh, Shaquille Griffin. I'm going to go with the Knights. You know, if I was Central Florida – I don't like this because it's a home game for them. And part of the part of the point of going to a bowl game is being able to travel and going to a new place and seeing how the bowl committee treats you like royalty. You know, I've seen some videos on YouTube recently about the, the bowl suites and things like that, and I just don't think they're getting a good bowl experience. But uh, that's a separate issue, separate topic. Um, I think the advantage here is the home game that they have uh, because the uh, Citrus Bowl Stadium or whatever they're calling it these days used to be Central Florida's home stadium until they built an on-campus stadium. Um, so I think that Arkansas State is walking into a tough situation. Um, Blake Anderson, of course, is our coach of the year, so he'll be able to kind of – he'll be ready for this one. This will be one of the tighter uh, early bowl games. Uh, this will be one of the more exciting ones as well. Uh, Justice Hansen has really turned it on at the quarterback position for for Arkansas State. He's done a tremendous job of helping the turnaround there um, in uh, at Arkansas State. A little known fact was actually uh, Blake Anderson was uh, not only a candidate at Baylor, but he was actually in the process of negotiating a contract before he ultimately turned them down when they hired Matt Rule. But um, I think Blake Anderson's going to have the boys ready to play. I just think UCS is going to be a little too much for him. Um, defensively, I think uh, Griffin's going to get after uh, Justice Hansen, and I think it's going to be – I'm not going to say it's going to be a bloodbath and UCS going to run away with this, uh, but at five-and-a-half-point favorites, I still like UCF because I think they're going to win by a touchdown and a touchdown that's scored midway through the fourth quarter. The only thing that's really given me pause uh, taking UCF is the fact that they can kind of be a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team. Sometimes they look so gorgeous out there on the field when, you know, everyone is moving around. They've really uh, got that hurry-up offense going. Other times, though, they are a turnover machine. If that happens in this game, we know that 
Arkansas State has you know really good quarterback play, and they don't turn the ball over too much there. Uh, so the Red Wolves really could uh, give the quasi home team there in UCF a, a real run for their money. Um, but let's talk about another one of those games that we mentioned earlier: the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, uh, the Mustard Buzzards Southern Miss five and a half point favorites versus UL Lafayette. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, while Southern Miss is the favorite, uh, a quick little factoid, ULL coach Mark Hudspeth is 4-0 in his career in the New Orleans Bowl. So give me the Raging Cajuns. Josh? Well, I think this comes down to do you believe regular season trends matter in bowl games? Uh, Southern Miss went 2-5 and five down the stretch and had – Absolutely dumb loss to Charlotte, who was terrible this year. Uh, the Rage of Cajuns started two and four, obviously turned it around over the second half of the season. What I like about this game, though, is you have a really nice quarterback in USM, Nick Mullins, and a really, really underrated running back at ULL, Elijah McGuire. Uh, McGuire has had over 4,000 rushing yards in his career there for the Ragin' Cajuns. I think this game might matter a little bit more for ULL. They're coming off a bad stretch where they were 4-8 and eight last year. They had to vacate some wins, whereas Southern Miss a year ago was in the Conference USA title game. So this was a bit of a step back for them. I'm going to go with the Ragin' Cajuns as well. Well, let's make it a clean sweep because I think the bowl committee, instead of the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, I think they should call it the RNL Carriers Raging Cajun Bowl because it seems like that um, before the season, I think they just go ahead and give the bid to Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and it seems like they're always in it. Hud Spitz is 4 0 in it. Um, the question about does regular season trends affect bowl games? And it just depends on who the coach is. Um, and I think it just depends on the situation. Most of the time, the bowl season is a brand-new season because you're going through a whole new training camp. You're going through a second training camp session where you have 15 practices where you're not really practicing for anything uh, short-term like you would during the regular season. You're really just kind of getting ready, getting ready, getting ready, and then all of a sudden your bowl game pops up. So it's another kind of like training camp season. So um, that, you know, a lot of your momentum, it can be bad for teams that are hot down the stretch, and it can be a really good thing for teams that are struggling because they can take a step back. So um, it just depends on who you are and what your situation is, um, if it's detrimental or if it is beneficial. So uh, seeing the Raging Cajuns play, um, I I watched them in one game this year uh, when they traveled between the hedges. Uh, they gave Georgia everything they could handle. Elijah McGuire is a special, special running back. Um, he's a guy that runs with a punishing style. He, he's tough to bring down. He plays hard. Um, and the guy never gives up. And, you know, I, I think he's going to shine in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, who I think is in second place with the San Diego County Credit Union Poinsettia Bowl for most syllables in your bowl title. So um, give me the range of Cajuns. And also they screwed up not hiring Ed Orgeron. Uh, as their head coach, even though they have a uh, established head coach who's doing well, they should have said, Mark Hudspeth, we love you, but the opportunity to hire a coach and a mascot in the same person is where we need to go. 
Yes, but all that, you know, the actual embodiment of your mascot in a head coach. So, uh, you but know, all the joking aside, I like the all the joking aside. I like Lafayette. I like the Raging Cajuns here. All right. Well, well, the final bowl game we're going to get to today is the Miami Beach Bowl on December 19th. Uh, the Chippewas, Central Michigan, are taking on the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Golden Hurricane, 12.5-point favorites uh, down there in Miami. And quite frankly, I like them by at least two touchdowns. Their offense is too potent. Central Michigan, to, Central Michigan to me is pretty blasé. Uh, but, Josh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I got Tulsa winning it big. Uh, Tulsa has – quarterback that we really like, Dane Evans. He threw for 1,300 fewer yards this year than last year. And it's like, why would you do that? Well, you have to hand the ball off to James Flanders, who had over 1,500 rushing yards, and D'Angelo Brewer, who had over 1,300 rushing yards. That's insane. Those are great years on your own, let alone as a tandem. That's, that's just bonkers. And for Central Michigan, they had the 70th defense in the country, not very good. It actually got worse as the year went on. When you just look at their uh, eight mat games, they averaged almost 30 points, uh, about two points more than they did the entire season. So that defense has been trending downward as the year's gone on. Uh, kind of a disappointing thing, though, for the Chips. We really liked them. Cooper Rush is a good quarterback, but he didn't have a very he didn't have as good a line in front of him this year as he did last year. So he didn't have as good a defense. He certainly didn't have any kind of running game to rely on. He was just kind of left out there to his own devices, and it resulted in a disappointing season. Yeah, Josh, you know, well, well, just one thing, quick thing to add there about Tulsa. You mentioned 3,000-yard quarterback, 1,500-yard uh, rusher, James Flanders. It is possible that they, after this game, they will have a 3,000-yard quarterback, two 1,500-yard rushers, and 2,000-yard receivers in uh, receivers uh, Keevan Lucas and Josh Atkinson. That's nuts. So I, I think it's, uh, I, you know, I think it's one of those things where um, you look at this, you look at the two teams, and it couldn't have been a worse matchup for for Central Michigan. Uh, they get the they get a Tulsa team that just lights you up from all different directions. Um, Philip Montgomery uh, just signed. He just signed a five-year extension with the Golden Hurricanes. Could have was a coaching was a head coaching candidate at Baylor, um, but decided to stay at Tulsa uh, and sign a five-year extension. Um, not much to say about this game, but everybody's a winner if there's not a brawl this year. So um, we can uh, we can rest easy and, and try to predict if there's going to be a brawl at this game or not. All right. Well, and um... also also I want to add Matt uh, something completely unrelated to the bowl games. Um, I just got an alert on my phone, and it was telling me that Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and Davin Bellamy will return for their senior seasons at the University of Georgia. So uh, really kind of surprising, kind of shocking, um, and just kind of leave me, leaving me scratching my head a little bit thinking, you know, what, you know, what. Well, Coach, you, you would have, uh, all, the, all that talent would have left. around Athens. Well, that's super exciting for Georgia because I, I understand that they're going to poach Greg Davis away from Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, uh, on that melancholy note, um, let's end today's version of Illegal Motion. We'll be back at you with uh, some more coaching carousel talk and more bowl preview sometime early next week. 
But for now, uh, on behalf of the coach in Nashville and our intrepid blogger in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big-